Good morning, Altoona Regular Baptist Church, and welcome. It is Sunday, May 10th, and this is our Sunday morning service. If you have a Bible, I invite you to join me this morning in John 3, verses 22 to 36. John 3, 22 to 36. If you do not have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to get one. Uh, get up, grab one, open it, have it in your lap, and follow along as we work our way through these verses. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this morning for who you are. We praise you for your word that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. We praise you even as we've seen in John uh, chapter 1 that you chose to send your only son, the word made flesh, to bear our penalty, to die for our sins, and to give us life to those who believe. Even this morning, as we look to your word, we pray that your spirit would work in each one of us, that you would work for your uh, glory and for our good. And we pray that we'd be challenged this morning as we see that there is no cause for rivalry between brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me as you read John 3, verses 22 to 36. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in, in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute among some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, he's baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him, given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Those of you who were alive in the 90s may remember the Chicago Bulls. Currently, with the COVID-19, one of the things that's been taken away from us is sports. I love this time of year, I love the NBA playoffs, and yet they've been put off, if not canceled for now. But currently, ESPN is airing a documentary uh, about Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls. 
And it's brought up a lot of conversations. It's caused a lot of people to reflect back on that time and to discuss. In fact, a lot of the sports shows now, instead of having live sports to discuss, spend a lot of time discussing this documentary, discussing the Chicago Bulls of the 1990s. And what's interesting about that team, the Chicago Bulls, that many people might not remember is just how good Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen were. They were stars in and of themselves. On their own team, they could have both shown. Instead, on the Bulls, they decided to work together. They decided to allow Michael Jordan to be the man, to step back, to help for the good of the team. They were willing to sacrifice for something greater than themselves. This morning in these verses in John 3, verses 22 to 36, John has that same mindset. John the Baptist understands his purpose. He understands why, why he has been sent, what his ministry is. And he embraces that ministry for the greater good, for a purpose so far beyond what he could understand. As we work our way through these verses, we'll see the dispute that arises, John's answer, and then John's continued commentary to his disciples. We'll start with the dispute in John 3, 22-26. First thing we see here in verses... 22 to 26 is the dispute. Starts out after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. After these things is after the Passover celebration. In John 2, 13 to 3, 21, it all takes place in Jerusalem during the Passover. According here to verse 22, the Passover has ended. And Jesus and his disciples have left Jerusalem. Verse 22 says, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. Jerusalem's actually in Judea. So the idea is not that they come into a new region, rather they've walked out of the city into the countryside. They've left the city, they've entered the countryside. And there he remained with them and baptized. This is likely a very important time for, for this group that is newly formed, Jesus and his disciples. This is a time that, that's important for them to get to know each other, for them to hear Jesus' teaching and to see his ministry and come to understand him more. They remain there and baptized. And next chapter, John 4, verse 2, clarifies that Jesus himself does not actually baptize. It's his disciples who baptize. But Jesus is overseeing it. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is running things. And so they've left the city. They've gone out to the countryside. They've got this ministry going where Jesus is teaching. The disciples are, are baptizing. They're spending time together. And verse 23 goes on. Now John also was baptizing. So, as Jesus has started this ministry, and him and his disciples have started baptizing, in the same area, John is still continuing his ministry. There was much water there. 
John still had people coming to him. His ministry is still thriving at this time. The end of the verse, and they came and were baptized. People are still coming. They're coming to Jesus and they're coming to John. Both of their ministries are, are, are thriving. John, at this point, his ministry is still going strong. But there are signs that John's ministry is beginning to fade. And that's what we'll see in this chapter as we work our way through here. Verse 24 goes on, John had not yet been thrown into prison. Seems like kind of an obvious statement. Well, if he's baptizing, he's obviously not in prison. But it's, important, it's an important note that John throws in there. It's a time stamp. It serves to, 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 to place us in time. Help the reader orient with the general story in the Synoptic Gospels. You see, in Matthew 4, 12-13, and in Mark 1, verses 14-15, the Synoptic Gospels start after John has already been thrown into prison. It goes straight from Jesus' temptation to Jesus' ministry in Galilee. So this little section in John 3, 22-36 serves in between that, between his temptation and between John's arrest. It helps to, to, to place us in time, to fill the gap between Jesus' temptation and Jesus' arrest. So verses 22-24 serve to, to tell us where we are, what's going on, and when we are. We're in the countryside of Judea. Jesus and John have two baptizing ministries that are going on beside each other. And this is before John has been thrown into prison. Verse 25 then starts the, the, the story that has been set up. What happens? Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. We don't know the extent of this argument. We don't know what, what they're arguing about, what specific point of purification. We just know the subject, purification. It's probably at this point a good place to pause and to talk about the difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism. You see, John's baptism has to do with purification. It's a baptism of repentance, as we see in Matthew 3.11. Later, Paul articul articulates this again in Acts 19.4. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. John is calling Jews to come and to, to admit their sin. To admit their need of cleansing. To prepare for the coming Messiah and His kingdom. So that's what John's baptism is. It's a, it's a physical sign of repentance. Jews come. They, they, they hear John speak. They realize, I am a sinner. I too need to be cleansed. They're baptized in this sign, physical sign, showing their admission to that as they prepare then for the coming Messiah that John has told them about. 
Christian baptism is also a sign. But it's a different sign. It's a sign that's not set up until after Christ's resurrection in Matthew 28. It's a sign that's explained in Romans 6, verses 3 to 7. You see, John's baptism is a physical sign of repentance that looks forward. It's preparing. Christian baptism is a physical sign that looks back. It identifies with Christ, with someone specific in time. I believe. I'm identifying with Jesus Christ, with His death, with His burial, with His resurrection. I'm testifying by my action that, that this is what I believe. So that's the difference between Christian baptism and John's baptism. And so John's baptism, it's an act of purification, preparing, looking ahead. And so it makes sense that this dispute would be over the subject of purification. And it deals with what John deals with. So whatever, whatever the dispute, the, the finer details of the dispute is, it's related to John's baptism. But the point of it in this section is not that. The point is that it touches on a sore spot with John's disciples. In fact, his disciples don't really talk anymore about the dispute. This dispute just serves as a launching pad into John's disciples' complaint, as we'll see in verse 26. So building on this, this dispute that they've had with the Jews, they come to John and they say to him, Rabbi, Teacher, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, Jesus, he who you testified, of whom you testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. This is their dispute. This is, this is their complaint. He, Jesus, who is with you beyond the Jordan, baptizing and all are coming to him. You see, John's disciples see the writing on the wall. At the moment, John's ministry is still thriving. People are still coming. Yet just down the river, someone's ministry is growing. They're starting to get nervous. They're losing followers. Their ministry is sinking while Jesus' ministry is growing. And before long, John and his disciples will be a nobody. He will fade off the scene. So this is bothering them. It's eating at them. And they go to John, doesn't this bother you? He's baptizing them? That's your ministry. And, and look at the crowds. All are coming to him. That obviously is exaggeration. But this is their complaint. This is their fear. And in verses 27 to 30, John answers them. So first we have the dispute. Now in John 3, 27 to 30, we have John's answer. How is John going to respond to his disciples? They have a complaint, and it's a legitimate complaint. It's true. Jesus' ministry is growing. They see the writing on the wall. 
How will John respond? Verse 27, John answered and said. John answers in three ways. He starts by noting God's sovereignty. He starts by reminding them of his identity and then of his ministry. First thing we see here in, in verse 27 is God's sovereignty. John answered and said to them, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John here calls their attention first to the sovereignty of God. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. First, recognize this. My ministry is a gift from God. It is nothing that I have done. God has called me to this. So who am I to complain about it? Who am I to wish it were different? This is what God has given me. And I'm a steward the ministry that God has called me to. John has a ministry in the sovereignty of God by the grace of God, and he will faithfully and passionately fulfill his ministry. John sees the writing on the wall. John knows what his ministry is. He knows, as he will relate a little bit later, I must decrease while he increases. That's John's ministry in the sovereignty of God. And yet, John doesn't allow that. As he sees the writing on the wall, as he sees the, the, the imminent end of his ministry, that's not an excuse for him to give up. That's not an excuse for John to take it easy. Rather, John is going to finish well. He's going to be motivated to work hard to fulfill his ministry until the day comes that he's either dead or, as we know, thrown in prison. He will do the ministry that God has called him to because God and his sovereignty has called me to this. He has given it to me. So John's trying to, trying to give that mindset to his disciples. This is the ministry that God has called me to and this is the ministry that I will do. It's not my responsibility to worry about other things outside of that. It's my responsibility to do the ministry that God has called me to. And if God in His sovereignty has called me to this, who am I to complain about it? My grandparents, growing up, traveled all over the world. Constantly, they were gone traveling to all these exciting countries. <coughs> and sometimes, as they would come back, they would bring gifts to my brother and sister and I. And I remember one time, specifically, they came back. They'd been gone for a while, and we were going over to visit them for the first time. We'd seen them in a while. I remember where in the house we were standing, in my grandmother's office. And we're standing there, and, and we weren't expecting gifts. They, they would just surprise us with them. It wasn't an every trip thing. And so we're standing there, we're seeing them, we're excited to see them, and they pull out gifts. And they start giving them to us. And, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was something along the lines of my brother and I got like a, a model of something. You know, not, not a toy that you can play with, but something you kind of put up on the shelf or hang on the wall and look at. And my sister got a toy or something more exciting. And I remember as they gave us those gifts, I, I actually voiced my complaint. I remember saying, well, why does she get that? Why is this all I get? I think part of the reasons I remember that is because I was 
after my parents rebuked me, I was so embarrassed. Because my parents did rebuke me. And they pulled me aside. And, and who was I to complain about something that was given to me by, by their own good free will? They didn't have to give me a gift. I wasn't expecting a gift. They chose to bring me something. And my complaint showed my ungrateful heart. So here, John has no right to complain of the gift that God has given him, the ministry that he has called him to. It's not yours to complain about. It's mine to fulfill. And I will do that, and I will be grateful. So John starts by reminding them that God is sovereign, and this is the ministry that God has given me. Secondly, verse 28, John's identity. You know who I am. I've been honest from the beginning. You yourselves bear me witness. Look back at verse 26. They came to John, his disciples. They said, Rabbi, he was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you testified. The one that you testified of? His ministry is growing. And what is John saying here? I told you from the beginning his ministry was going to grow. In, in, in John chapter 1, Andrew and John get it. They connect the dots. They understand. And they go and they follow Jesus. His other disciples never connected the dots. They never understood. So here John says, You yourselves bear me witness. I said, I am not the Christ. I've said this from the very beginning. I am not the Christ. I've been sent before Him. I'm not He. The whole point of my ministry is to baptize and to say, Get ready! He's coming! From the very beginning I've told you that. I've never changed my tune. God is sovereign. You know my identity. You know who I am. Finally, you know my ministry. John uses a picture here in John 29 to, to explain, an, an illustration to explain his relationship to Jesus, his ministry compared to Jesus' ministry. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He uses a picture everyone would have been aware of, the picture of a wedding. You have the bridegroom and the bridegroom's friend, or the idea of his best man, as we would say today. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The whole point of the wedding is the bride and the groom take center stage. The best man, the bridegroom's friend, he's not meant to be center stage. His whole purpose is meant to be off to the side, meant to be serving, meant to be supporting. He stands and hears him. He rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. The best man rejoices to be a blessing to his friend. The best man's not trying to steal the, the light on the day of the wedding. He's not trying to get all the attention for himself. John's trying to help them to see that, that I am not the Christ. Nor am I competing with Jesus Christ. 
My joy is fulfilled in seeing his ministry grow. That is my entire point of my ministry is to point people to him. How have you missed that? Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Sums up John's ministry and, and what he's, and honestly, what should be the cry of every Christian heart. He must increase. And, and John's, the Baptist ministry, it's, it's a very tangible truth. His ministry literally must grow. And mine, which has less and less need, must shrink. My ministry is simply to repair the way, to draw attention to him. Once that's done, I'm done. So literally, his ministry must grow. He must grow. I must decrease. As I mentioned, that's also the cry of every Christian heart. John's whole attitude, his whole way of thinking, the same kind of thinking that must invade all of our hearts. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the kind of thinking we see in Paul in Philippians 1, verses 12 to 18. You may remember that passage where Paul is under house arrest. And his ministry is very limited. He can still write, he can receive guests, but he's not able to go out, he's not able to preach. He's limited to, to Rome. And while he's stuck in this house, there are others who are out, and they're taking advantage of his limitations. They're preaching. They're drawing large crowds. They're growing their ministry. And, and several of them are doing it from selfish motives. They're actually putting Paul down. They see it as an opportunity to grow their ministry while he can't do anything. And what does Paul say? And yet I rejoice as long as the gospel is preached. That's Paul's mindset, that, that even if I decrease, I don't care as long as the gospel goes forth, as long as he increases. And that's the key there in that Philippians passage, that the gospel is being preached. It might be from the wrong motives, but it's being preached. In Galatians, it's not the gospel that's being preached, and Paul addresses that. But in Philippians, they are preaching the gospel. And Paul rejoices in that, as long as the truth of the gospel, unhindered, is going out. It's the same idea that we see in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 17. Later, in chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, where you have these Corinthians people, and they're saying, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Peter. And Paul rebukes this mindset of, of rivalry. It's not about you. It's about Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. And as Paul has this mindset, both in Philippians and in 1 Corinthians, brothers and sisters, we must have this same mindset. It's not a competition. There's no rivalries in gospel ministry. We must not mourn competition, we must rejoice in the gospel. I think we would all agree with John's assessment here. We'd all cheer him on and say, yeah, that, that's right, John. Well said. 
I think we often tend to think of ourselves better than we should. I think many of us would say, yeah, and, and I, I, I do that too. It's all about him increasing and me decreasing. I think we must search our hearts. We must be honest with ourselves. Let me ask you this. If a sister church moved into Altoona, right down the street from us, how would you respond? Would you rejoice at the opportunity for the gospel to reach more people? Or would you feel a sense of rivalry? Why are they moving into our territory? There's other towns, there's other cities. We, why do we need help? Brothers and sisters, we must change that mindset. It's not about advancing ARBC. It's about advancing the gospel. The population of Altoona, Iowa in 2018 was almost 19,000 people. Surrounding areas, Bondurant was almost 7,000. Pleasant Hill, 10,000. Mitchellville, 2,000. That's almost 36,000 people within a very short driving distance of us, right in this close vicinity. There's room for a hundred more churches here. Are you willing to fail in the eyes of the world for the sake of the gospel? If a church moved to Altoona and they were doing a better job of reaching Altoona, and people were being saved in Altoona, Iowa, and the gospel was growing, was going forth in power, and people were getting saved, and their church was growing, and our church was sinking, was, was, was declining. Yes, it's right to mourn for our church. But we shouldn't blame the others. We should rejoice in the gospel power that is working through that church. If anything, it should motivate us to see that the gospel does still work. It is still powerful. It can still go forth. It can reach out to Iowa. They're not our rivals. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're serving the same gospel, the same mission, the same Savior. And as long as He is increasing, it doesn't matter if I decrease. Don't mourn competition. It's not a rivalry. Rejoice in the gospel. Be honest with yourself. With yourself. Maybe we need to change our attitude. It's not about us. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He must increase but I must decrease. First we saw the dispute from the first part of John's answer. And in verses 31 to 36 we see the next part of John's answer. His continued commentary on this. And at this point, the first part, he focuses on him. On himself and his ministry. 
Here in verses 31 to 36, he focuses on Jesus, on his identity, his authority, and his ministry. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. In the context of the conversation, it would have been clear to his disciples that, that John here is talking about Jesus. He's the one who comes from above. He's the one who's above all, the one who comes from heaven. Jesus, the Word made flesh. God and man. The light shining in the darkness. John here, he who is of the earth, is earthly and speaks of the earth. That's John. John is earthly. His experience is earthly. But Jesus is superior because of who he is, because of where he comes from. It's similar as what Jesus says to, to Nicodemus earlier in the chapter. When he talks about the fact that, that I am the one who comes from above, from heaven. I speak of heavenly things. You see that in verse 32, actually, through 36. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. The one who comes from heaven testifies of heaven. Jesus is superior because of where he comes from. And he's superior and has authority because of where he comes from. He speaks not of things he's heard, but he speaks of things he knows. He's an eyewitness to the throne room of God. He's an eyewitness to God's plan. He is God himself. He's an eyewitness, and yet no one receives his testimony. Again, harking back to John 1, verses 10 to 11, he came into his own, and his own received him not. The God of heaven, the light shined into the darkness, came to earth, and they wouldn't believe him. But he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. To agree with Jesus is to agree with God. To believe Jesus is to believe God. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. In the Old Testament, to, to prophets and kings and, 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 and those who spoke for God, the, His Spirit was given in measure to, to fulfill the ministry that they had been called to. But Jesus doesn't have the Spirit in measure. He has the Spirit in, in fullness. The Father loves the Son. He's given all things into His hand. Jesus is superior to John because of who He is. Jesus is superior to John because of his experience. Jesus is, is, is superior to John because of his relationship to the Father and because of what the Father has given him. It's the Father who loves the Son has given all things into his hand. We see that encouragement actually in, in, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. As Jesus sends out his disciples into the world, what does he say? 
All authority has been given to me, therefore go. Here, again, in John 3, the, the Father has given all things into his hand. All authority has been given to him. Verse 36 then. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Not he who believes in John the Baptist. Not he who, who, who obeys and, 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 is, and goes through the ritual purification of the baptism. John's baptism does that outward sign admitting their sin. Not just that, but he who believes in the Son his everlasting life, just as Jesus told Nicodemus. It's he who believes. It's not he who was born a Jew. It's not he who obeys. It's not he who is a Pharisee. He who keeps the law. It's he who believes. And he who does not believe the stone shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Some translations use the word does not obey the Son. It's the same idea. It's actually tying unbelief to disobedience. The sin of unbelief. The sin of not believing. And rebelling, you're choosing not to believe the Son, and you will not receive life. Rather, the wrath of God will abide on you. The wrath of God, as Romans 5.9 tells us, that you can be saved from if you will turn from your sin and turn to Christ. John here reminds his disciples, God is sovereign and God has called me to this ministry. He reminds them of what his identity is and what his ministry is. And then in verses 31 to 36, John points his disciples from himself to Jesus Christ. Look at him. Look at his identity, his authority, his ministry, his eyewitness. The whole point of my ministry is to point you to him. Brothers and sisters, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Altoona Regular Baptist Church. It is all about Jesus Christ. He must increase. The gospel must go forth. We must make disciples. A couple of points of application. First thing I would say to you this morning is this. Search your own heart for any sign of jealousy or rivalry. And do whatever it takes to get it out. This is not a competition. It's not about how big we can make our church compared to the churches in Ankeny. Or the churches on the other side of Altoona. It's not a competition. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. So let's start with any sense of rivalry, any sense of jealousy, and let's get rid of it. 
Maybe it's not even rivalry and jealousy outside as we look at other churches. Maybe it's inside. Maybe it's someone in our church who's taken a ministry that, that, you know, that, that used to be my ministry. I could do that better. Why haven't they asked me to do that? that that's what I should be doing. Looking at, at what you haven't been given rather than focusing on the ministries that you have been entrusted with, that you have been called to. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are partners in the gospel. And whatever ministry you've been called to, don't focus with jealousy on someone else. Do the ministry that you've been called to. There is no place for jealousy or rivalry in the church. Secondly, Find the ministry that God has called you to. The opportunities that you have been given. And passionately fulfill those. John saw his ministry coming to an end and he didn't see that as an excuse to back off or to take it easy. Uh, that pushed him all the more to keep baptizing and keep pointing people to Jesus until the last moment. Recognize that God is sovereign. He's not made a mistake by not putting you in that ministry. Embrace where He has put you. And pursue that. Pursue it with passion. Brothers and sisters, I would end with this thought. If our church is failing to make disciples, I would actually then pray that God would bring another church that would reach Altoona for the gospel. It's not about us. And we must never make it about us. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our ministry. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the gospel. And He must increase. Let this this week encourage you to go forth and to make disciples. Find the, the ministry that, that you've been called to in your neighborhood at work. To share the gospel and to make disciples there. Opportunities for, for Christ to increase. We must echo John the Baptist's confession that he must increase and I must decrease. May God give us eyes to see that. To passionately Embrace that. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this morning for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel, we have no hope. We are sinners, and yet God has reached out to us in Jesus Christ. He has given us hope if we will but believe. Father, I pray that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who's not placed their faith in Christ, that even this morning even through this message, through this passage in your word, that they would turn from their sins and they would place their faith in Christ and in Christ alone for salvation. 
And Father, I pray that if there is any hint of rivalry or jealousy among us, as a church or as individuals, and if we are stuck on pushing our brand as a church or whatever it may be, that we would focus, refocus on the gospel. That He must increase and we must decrease. Give us passion, Father, not for our comfortable Christianity, but for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even as we as a church come back after COVID-19, as we regather and as we come finish out the year, may we finish it strong, may we look back and rejoice in what God did through COVID, after COVID, how He used us To reach out to in Iowa for the gospel. Give us passion. Pray all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.